encourage you to keep your place in Acts 2. Though the text I want to think about comes from Psalm 16, 10. It's in how Peter quoted that text in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Well, what I want to really concentrate on today. I want you to picture for yourself if you can imagine you were there on the day of Pentecost. Now, if Jesus was 33 or 34 when he died by the reckoning of the Roman calendar, that would be A.D. 33 or 34. That's where we get our calendar. A.D. 2023. But in reality, that calendar was mistaken and wasn't corrected to the 1500s. We know that because King Herod the Great died in 4 BC. And he wanted to kill all the boys in Bethlehem when he heard about the Messiah being born. So Jesus most likely was born somewhere 4, 5, 6, 7 BC. And then Herod died when Joseph and Mary and Jesus fled to, to uh, Egypt. But here, you know, without arguing the date, what could it be as early, really as A.D. 27 or A.D. 33 or so. But on this day, this great thing happens. Fifty days before that was the Passover. Passover always occurs in the from the end of March to the middle of April. It varies from year to year. Fifty days, what we have is the Feast of Pentecost. The Greek word Pentecost meaning 50. So it's actually in Jewish custom 49 days or seven weeks after the first day of Passover. So the first day of Passover was the Friday that Jesus was crucified. And so we have then 49 days completing the 50 to bring us to this Jewish day of another great feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. 
sometimes called the Feast of the Harvest, because the Jews remember the seasons of planting and harvesting. And they also remembered that Moses went up on the Sinai and received the law from God. So again, picture yourself. What has happened? For 40 days, Jesus was raised from the dead. He walked around. He taught the disciples, both in Jerusalem and in Galilee. Remember, on the beach, on the sea of Galilee, he talked to them because they had gone fishing. And he restored Peter to good favor and said to Peter, Do you love me? Yes? Then feed my sheep. He said that three times. But then it seems that this resurrected Christ in that glorified body has come back to the Jerusalem area. And Luke tells us in chapter 24, they went to the village of Bethany, near Bethany. That's two miles to the east of Jerusalem, close to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus' final instruction, what we call the Great Commission. And then he's ascended and taken up. And Luke says here in chapter 1, this is 40 days after he's been raised from the dead. So during this time, the 12 apostles, many other disciples, even hundreds at one point, saw the visible sign of this resurrection. Christ was alive. It's like legal evidence that he's alive. It's not just a myth. The disciples didn't steal the body. Here he is, in person, teaching, walking with us, eating, eating with us at times. In chapter 1, the disciples asked this resurrected Christ, will you restore the kingdom to us? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times my Father has planned. But stay in Jerusalem, and shortly you will receive the Spirit of power, and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Then Jesus is taken up. Now, that must have occurred again close to the Mount of Olives. Because Luke says that the apostles and the disciples went back to Jerusalem and stayed in an upper room for the next 10 days. 120 people, including the mother of Jesus and his brothers, perhaps his sisters. And during this time, Peter says, we must replace Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And they choose Matthias be the 12 apostle. That brings us to chapter 2. So picture this. If you were there with other and some people in this room, you're obedient to stay and pray and wait for the Spirit to be given. They don't know, really, what does that mean? That God is going to give the Spirit. But they're also afraid of the Jewish leaders of persecution. Imagine you're there and all of a sudden there's a a mighty sound of the wind like a tornado. You know, not only do the disciples hear this, but all over Jerusalem with perhaps hundreds of thousands in Jerusalem for the feast day of Pentecost. They hear the sound. They come to the house. What is going on? What is this sound? Luke records not just the sound, but tongues of flame above the disciples representing the outpouring of the Spirit. And the crowd is asking, what is happening? And the miracle, the crowd, and Luke lists for us something like 14 different language groups that hear what the disciples are speaking. So there's a miracle of speech and a miracle of hearing. But they don't understand. They're confused. What's going on? And somebody scoffs and says, well, they're just all drunk. And what happens 
Peter stands up. And we read this passage. And he says, pay attention. We're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. What is happening is according to the prophet Joel. What you're seeing is the outpouring of God's spirit. Just as he promised. Hundreds of years before this. And then Peter continues. And this recorded sermon is probably just part of what he said. Luke says he continued to speak and exhort the people. But he says, I'm telling you what happened. You men of Jerusalem, by God's plan, is Peter predetermined plan. You crucified God's son, this Jesus of Nazareth, at the hands of the Romans. But he was crucified. Because you, in Jerusalem, wanted him dead. That was according to God's plan. The substitutionary atonement on the cross. But then Peter says, that was God's plan. He died. Everybody knows. He died on that Friday. But then Peter says, it's also testified. Everybody here knows this Jesus. He died on the bitter Friday. But Sunday came. He dies at 3 p.m. Friday. But by sunrise on Sunday, the tomb is empty and Christ is alive. So Peter, in this sermon, is talking about both the outpouring of the Spirit, the crucifixion of Christ, and the historical objective fact that everybody in Jerusalem knows Christ is alive. And he's been with us for 40 days. Now, somebody might be thinking that Psalm 16 wasn't talking about Jesus. Because Peter quotes it. Here he says. He says, Peter is quoting parts of Psalm 22, parts of Joel, parts of Psalm 110, and Psalm 16. And Peter said, listen, you men of Jerusalem, the psalmist said, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, 
or some translations, Hades, you will not allow your holy ones to see corruption. This is what struck me when I read this. I thought, this is what Easter's about. This is what the resurrection we celebrate is about. A thousand years before Christ, David spoke of these things. And David said, you won't abandon your servant to an eternity in hell. And you won't allow his body to become corrupted. Now, all of us, I'm sure, have gone to a funeral. And we know when you put the body in the ground, that it starts, it starts to decay and it's corrupted. And pretty soon, there's not any of the flesh left. These people in Jerusalem knew that too. Martha knew that. Jesus, our brother Lazarus, has been dead. Don't open the tomb. There'll be a stench of corruption. Now trust me, I worked in a hospital. I've x-rayed people in the morgue. It's not pleasant. It stinks. They know that corruption comes with death. Without life, the body decays. And yes, the bones may stay, but the flesh is gone. But Peter says, Jerusalem, listen to me. This Jesus is what David spoke about. He was not abandoned to hell. And his body was not decayed. What happened? The stone rolled away. Jesus came out of the tomb. And this is a fact that we know. He's been with us. And now he's been ascended. Now again, somebody might think, wasn't he talking, David talking about himself? But Peter says, no. There's parts of the psalm that relate to, to David. But this verse relates to the Messiah. Because Peter, see, Peter's not stupid. And he says to this crowd, all of you know who David was. And guess what? You know 
where David's tomb is in Jerusalem in the palace area. Basically, Peter say, it's not about David because we know where David was buried and his bones are still there. I'll be a little sarcastic for a second. I bet you if you go to Jerusalem today, there's probably somebody who'll say, Hey, you Americans, I'll show you where David was buried. You know, for 10 bucks or so. You know, we'll show you all these places. But Peter is basically saying, it's not about David, the great king. It's about David's greater son, the everlasting king. Yes, he died. But by Sunday morning, he was alive and raised. The resurrection fulfills the promise of this great song. Now, uh, in your bulletin outline, there's a couple points. Let me just highlight a couple of things today that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die. In Jewish thinking, the Messiah would be the great king who would destroy Rome, set up Israel as a kingdom, and all would be good. But Isaiah 53 and other passages point to no, the Messiah is king, yes, but he's a suffering servant who dies for our sin. But he's going to be raised from the dead several times in the Gospels. As they got close to Jerusalem, Jesus told, the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to die in Jerusalem, but three days later, I'll be raised with glory. He had to die for sin. That is God the Father's plan for redemption. The blood had to be shed. But, praise God, hallelujah, he's what? He's alive. The grave couldn't hold, hold him. His body was not corrupted. Jesus knew that. He could go willingly to the cross because he knew what God the Father would do. He's raised with power. And then second, again, Peter boldly proclaims the resurrection 
We're all witnesses. But it's because this is what God promised through the prophet David. Aren't you glad what God promises comes true? How would we be today if God reneged on this promise and Jesus was corrupted and stayed in the tomb? But because Christ is raised, we have a vital faith. We have hope. We have eternal life. And then, on the next point, again, there's this historical truth, this objective fact. Yes, the Romans didn't believe it. The Jewish leaders didn't believe it. But Jesus is witnessed all over Jerusalem and Galilee. And it's recorded as truth in all four Gospels. It's spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 by Paul. And Paul says, by the way, who did I see on the Damascus road? I saw Jesus. I saw the resurrected Christ. A couple more points here. The resurrection shows God and Christ's power. What has Christ done in his resurrection? He's conquered sin and death. Why is there death? It's the wages of sin. And death seems to have victory over the human race. It's the wage of sin. It's the sting, Paul says. But this resurrection of Christ shows that God has power over sin and death and ultimately over Satan. This resurrection shows Jesus dealt with the penalty of sin. He gives us power over sin. That's what we're studying in dealing with temptation. He'll deliver us from the presence of sin. And he's delivering us from the pollution of sin. It's all because he's resurrected. And what I mean by that, he makes us a new person. And the old is taken away. And so, while sin corrupted us in our own nature, in the gospel, in Christ, we see a change. We're new people. 
new creations. And, uh, you know, people scoff at this. Resurrection? Well, that's stupid. Why do they say that? Because in the history of the human race, when people die, they stay in the grave. They're corrupted. Now, Elijah raised the widow's son. Jesus raised a young man. Jesus raised Lazarus. Peter raised Dorcas. Paul raised Eutychus as we fell out the window. But those are not actually true resurrections. They come back to life. But all those people died again. This is the true resurrection promised because Christ is alive, ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God where he still is a priest, where he's the king, and he will soon, one day, return to totally set up his kingdom and finish all of redemption and judgment. But it's possible because he didn't stay in the grave. Amen? And, uh, Where's Confucius? Where's Buddha? Where's Muhammad? Where's Joseph Smith? Or Charles Russell? Or any other religious leader? They're dead and gone. But Christ is the true prophet, priest and king. The resurrection proves it. He's alive. And uh, <clears throat> who are we united to? By faith. As a Christian, you and I are united to this Jesus. Not this dead body. But this alive, Christ, Messiah, by faith, not because of our works, but because of the work of God. Now, this is a difficult concept, this union with this person who's both spirit but has a glorified body. But the scriptures say that you and I have been crucified with Christ, have been buried with Christ, baptized with Christ, and are raised with Christ. That's the union we have with him. But now, have any of you 
actually been crucified? Do you have nail prints in your hand and feet? Have you actually died this way? Been put in a tomb? Been raised? No. Not in that physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. We are totally united with Christ. Crucified, buried, baptized, baptized, and raised with Christ. So Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. We don't know when. We may be alive when he returns. We may be long dead. But if we're long dead, First Thessalonians says, the dead in Christ are rise first. And the other believers will be caught up. So there is the resurrection. But the scriptures also say there's a resurrection of the unbeliever, the judgment. Again, because Christ has conquered sin and death, there is a resurrection of the dead. Some the judgment some the life. Now, the last point, well, what's this mean for us today? Well, because we're united to the resurrected Christ, you and I can live differently. What did Christ give the church on Pentecost? the Spirit who indwells us. The people in Jerusalem said to Peter, what do we do? I mean, they're convicted. Peter says, repent, believe, be baptized, and you'll receive the Spirit. So brothers and sisters, as Christians, we have the Spirit we have the Word of God, and we can set our hearts and minds on things above, not this earth. Paul says that in Colossians 3. It's because we're raised with Christ. We can think differently. We can have different desires. We can have thoughts and desires focused on heavenly things, not the world, not the flesh, the devil. We can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's what I want to leave with you. What's the resurrection? It means you have the Spirit. You have the power of God. You have a relationship with Christ that cannot 
be broken. You have the love of God, the Father, forever. You have the presence and power of the Spirit. So, because Christ is alive, you are always with Christ. And Christ is always with you. No matter how hard life seems, Christ has not abandoned you. You are not orphans. He gave us the Spirit. But you know something? We live like orphans sometimes. Like we're not United to Christ. That God doesn't love us. Like we don't have the Spirit. The orphan doesn't pray. The orphan doesn't believe. God's promise. The orphan becomes self-reliant. I don't have parents. An orphan child would say, I have to do something to survive. But God has said, you're not orphans. You're united to the triune God by faith. So, a uh, couple action points. Jesus told the crowd, repent, believe on Christ. I think everybody here has done that. But that's the key thing. Because Christ is resurrected, you must believe on Him to be saved. That's what people must do. That's what Peter told the crowd. And how many people believed that day? 3,000. That's a lot of people. And they were all baptized by the, the apostles. That's a mighty work of God. But that's the key thing. If Christ is true and resurrected, we must believe. And then second, Christian, you are to abide with Christ your Savior. Don't look to other teachers or prophets or messiahs or religious leaders. You're attached to the true vine. Abide with Jesus and you'll see the fruit in your life. And then third, because Christ is raised and we're raised with him. Again, set your heart and mind on Christ, the things above, on heavenly ways, on his kingdom, his righteousness. Yeah, let's be honest. Lots of times we think 
in worldly ways. Well, the government said this. My teacher said this. My family said this. Our culture said something. But there are a lot of times we have to say no to the world and look to our heavenly Christ. And where do we see that? Yes, in prayer, we talk to Christ, to God, but also through the word of God given to us as our infallible rule of life. Let's pray, Father. Thank you. You did not leave your son in the grave. You abandoned him temporarily for the sake of dealing with sin. But praise God, he was raised again with power. Death cannot hold him. And because Christ is raised, we give you glory today. It gives us hope for our lives. Whether we live or die, we are united to Christ, our Lord and Savior. Which is what Peter said. Because of the resurrection, we call Christ. We call this Jesus, Christ and Lord. Praise God today. Amen. Thank you.